Thank you, Robin, and thank you, Dell. Welcome once again to everyone. And this reading this morning for me is an especially difficult one. We'll talk a little bit about that. But I want to start out with the words that Abraham did. Here I am. God calls to Abraham, and Abraham says, Here I am. From there, the texts get difficult and worse. (laughs) Good start, tough finish. If you consider the possibility of God ever calling upon anyone to sacrifice their son, or God testing faithful people in such a way as Abraham was tested, especially after they had just lost their only son a year before, then God emerges in a very bad light in my opinion. You are welcome to believe what you will, but this is not the God that I know. So what's up with this text? Now there are some interpreters who suggest that Abraham was in fact a little bit crazed, that his grief in his advanced age, after all, he was said to be 921 when he died, that his mind was listening to his voice, not God's. Some of these same interpreters suggest that it was his wife who in horror and fear followed this crazed Abraham with their only son to the mountain. And just as Abraham lifted the knife to slay Isaac, that from behind a nearby rock in her best godlike voice, she yelled out, Abraham, stop. Abraham did. Truth is, we really don't know. But when you get stories and interpretations like this, it suggests that other people have had some trouble with this text as well. So, we have to go a little bit further, and we have to let go of the literal interpretation. For a text that was written many, many hundreds of years after these events took place, the story had been told over and over and written by the Greeks and written by the Septuagint folk and then written again. It's like the story of Job and many others that these are difficult tests. Why would God do such things? I mean, if we embrace an all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing God, well, it just doesn't match up. And for those in the ancient times, as we have said before, God was into everything. God was and was into everything. So they saw God in everything. It's like that old Italian saying, Presumolo per ogni minestra. God was like the parsley in the spaghetti. God was everywhere. So from a distant lens, and through a glass, through which best we see darkly, as Paul reminds us, and from among the many discussions and the text, and the exegesis that we try to bring to the text, considering the times, the conditions, the place, what comes through for me, beyond it all, is where we started. Here I am. I trust you, God. Absolutely. God, here I am. What will you have me do? There is some thought that Abraham so trusted God 
that deep inside he knew God would never take his son. The view comes from the line in the text that Robin read where Isaac turned to Abraham and said, we've got the fire, we've got the knife, where's the lamb? And Abraham says to Isaac, don't you worry, Isaac, God will provide. And God did provide with the ram later on. Okay, that's a little bit better. But there's another problem that arises here in all of this, even with the trust. This seems to be a bit too anthropomorphic God for some of us. I mean, what if Abraham had refused what God had asked him to do? If God's plan depended on Abraham's trust, then there has to be some trust on the part of God that Abraham would do what God asked. This line of thinking suggests an interesting partnership between God and Abraham and the broader community. It brings up the notion that we still deal with and maybe even struggle with today, the relationship of God's will for us and our free will to accept it or not. It seems it may have been as messy for the writers of Genesis as it is sometimes for us today. So as you can see, there are many directions in which we can take the text, but for me that direction, whatever the direction is, still comes back to that central idea of trust. Trusting in God, here I am, God trusting in us, the I am of God always being with us. It's a recurring theme. It comes up in the Bible and the texts over and over. The call of God and the willingness of people and nations to respond that have been the mileposts on the path of God's unveiling plan. The many names we know, Noah, Moses, the nation itself of Israel, Abraham, Elijah, the prophets, Jesus. Even Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, he found the same trust, demonstrated it, revealed it, when he was questioned to the point beyond any possibility of compromising any of his beliefs, and at one point just simply said, here I stand, I can do no other. I trust God. I trust God is with me. I will trust that God will continue to stand by me right here. And so I stand before you. Over the last 15 years of my time in the Presbyterian Church and the nearly six years since I have been ordained in the churches and the organizations that I have served during that time, I have come to know many who live deeply in that trust. That trust that God walks with them, the trust that makes them people willing to stand when others would prefer them out of their way. They are among the freest people I know. Remember Janis Joplin? Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. If you have nothing to lose, if you've placed everything into the care of God's hands, as you understand God, you are truly few, free. But before my time in the PCUSA, before I got here, the just and loving treatment of people took work. People of color and women had to break through the barriers that had existed 
some of which continue to rear their ugly heads even today. However, when such incidents occur, generally, there is a great and strong voice that speaks up, stands out, rejects those positions, takes actions. However, also in my time, the church's treatment of people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender has been abysmal, intolerable, biased, and fomenting of violence. It has been a church that has too often run silent. Good for a submarine, bad for witness to the gospel. I have been to ecclesiastical trials with friends and colleagues forced to defend themselves from charges related to welcoming the LGBT community in its fullness, many of whom simply left chased away by the intolerance, the lack of understanding, and the dogmatic conviction that served more to assuage the comfort of those bringing the charges than actual justice. I have watched qualified candidate after candidate be denied a call because they self-identified as someone who was lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender, refusing to deny or compromise their love for another of the same gender. They who were told time and again that they were welcome, but only so far, and certainly not in the leadership of the church. For many who suffer, feel excluded, oppressed, have been abused or pushed aside, the church has always generally been a place and a hope for sanctuary. Look to Jesus. Who did Jesus call to himself? He called the oppressed and the marginalized. And look how he himself was oppressed. He understood. He was oppressed to the point of execution. So I'm sorry. No one can really tell me that God wants ever again for anyone that which Jesus suffered through for us all. 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 But yet when it comes to the institution of church and houses of worship, only a small and albeit growing minority have opened their doors fully to the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community, often at the risk to their rights of jurisdiction for the church or for their careers. Like many here, I have lived through the beginnings of the AIDS crisis. It has been part of my adult life since the early 1980s. I have watched friends Dozens of friends, not acquaintances, friends die. And an entire cohort of men, my generation, wiped out by the tens of thousands. I have lived through the confusion and the fear of not knowing what was going on, what was going to happen. And while the president in office from 1980 to 1988 never once used the word AIDS from the bully pulpit of the presidency of the United States, never stepped up since he saw it as a problem of those people, a problem of their own making, those of us in the community needed to turn elsewhere. Yes, there were churches that stepped up. And for many who came to know us in their compassion to help to serve those in hospitals, they changed in their hearts just by coming to know us. And some of those people today are our strongest allies, friends, and supporters. Still, 
As I listened to the comments of some of the religious leaders on Friday evening as the vote came before the Senate in Albany, as a gay man, I easily recognized the fear, the homophobia that had been targeted toward me and others for decades. A hatred and a fear in the hands of some religious leaders that is alive, vibrant, and just as deadly today as it was then. But there were some, many in fact, who knew that the AIDS pandemic was not God's purge, who knew that the people who identified as gay in its broad sense were not evil, damned, or somehow more flawed than anyone else. Some of these people who had the courage, the chutzpah, and yes, anger to refuse not to stand, trusted in God, and trusted that God would stand by them. They faced red-faced, blustering people, hearings, threats of losing jobs, and more, and they stood. And they said, come, learn about me, find out who I am. I am your sister and your brother. And they sat with people who were suffering, suffering from the abuse. These people sat with those who were marginalized in their communities and their families. They stood. They refused to leave them and to go away. They relied, they refused to be carried away by all of the nonsense. They pastored, they counseled, and they buried those who others were quick and ready to dehumanize. The dignity was carried on by people who had the courage to stand, to trust in God, to know that God trusted in them, and to know that no God would ever call them to abandon anyone. And today, 40 years after Sandy Broaders stepped out on the floor of the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church and identified herself as a candidate for Minister of Word and Sacrament, she identified herself as a woman who was a lesbian. Forty years after her statement and that night where they had to put guards on her door at the hotel for the death threats she had received as a result of coming out. Forty years after legislation and work by thousands, this church finally changed its constitution so today Sandy could be ordained, so today those who come forward could be open and honest and ordained and sanctuary is a bit closer than ever before. And last Friday, as Dell reminded us this morning, 44 years, 44, 42, 43, 43 years actually after the Stonewall Riots of 1969, when the gay community finally had enough of the incessant raids by the police just a few miles away from here in Greenwich Village, they stood, and boy did they stand, for days, and the gay right movement was begun. Forty years later, we in this state finally have the Marriage Equality Act. Important for those who wish to marry? Yes. But more important as another major rejection of the LGBT community as a second-class citizens group. Another group to be marginalized or oppressed. Another group to be targeted for violence and abuse. Another group of exclusion. No. That whole notion took a big hit with the passage of this bill. But still controversy continues today in the PCUSA and other churches. In February, the Reverend Dr. Janie Adams Spar, who many of you met here on her visit and may know her from earlier times, will be taking her case, her appeal to the highest court 
in the Presbyterian Church, the GAPJC, General Assembly Permanent Judicial Commission, who will hear her appeal of a guilty verdict upheld by a second lower court of appeals, a court that charged her with violating her ordination vows for marrying same-gender couples in San Francisco during the time in California when such marriages were legal. Cheney continues to stand for her call to ordination. And she, who's been accused of violating her ordination vows by marrying people, says it would have been a violation of her ordination vows not to marry people, not to provide pastoral care for all who come to her. Not the other way around. And I agree. So here we are in the state with no residency laws for marriage. Are you ready for what that means? Whew. A weddings? More than a few, Dell. Here we are in a state where anybody can come here to get married like anybody can go to Las Vegas to be divorced. The right to marry exists now. And an influx of weddings is already in the works. And who are the religious leaders that will marry them? Who are the churches that have rejected the second class and second spiritual nature and status for the LGBT community, for those who are seeking to solemnize their vows, who are they that will marry them? Who are the churches that stand with God, knowing God stands with them and are willing to lift up love in such marriage? Struggle continues. Some will shrink. Others will enter into the struggle to help find ways toward the new Jerusalem in which all are welcomed as they always have been by God. Like Sandy, like Janie, the Stonewall folk, Abraham, Martin, and others, we stand. We trust in God. We trust that God stands with us. We set our sights high enough to see beyond the institutional bias and confusion knowing clearly some things among many. That we are beautiful, radiant, loving creatures of God. That God would never call us to marginalize one another for any reason. That God would never ask violence of us towards those we are called to love. And that like before, justice is always right. It is always love in action. It is always the gospel in practice, even with others disagree, for they are wrong. The story of Abraham is a story of trust. I wish it had been told differently. But its point is clear. Our first responsibility is to trust in God and know that God trusts in us. And it is us in community that is called to live into the love of God and into the love of one another trusting that God will be there. And in places like this, where the tradition is exemplified, not only with voice, but with action. Places like this and others like it that challenge us to follow such things. Challenge us to set aside what needs to be set aside, making it clear that here we stand. It is here in the trust of God, and God's trusted us that we say in all the ways we know how to say, here I am. What will you have me do? 
and then do it. Amen.